0: Lord, help us to see you today in our midst. Help us to know you. Help us to hear your voice and do what you say. Lord, it is our desire to see you high and lifted up on the earth. To give everyone in our neighborhoods and networks, our workplaces, our families, an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so, would you empower us in that work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a seat. Yesterday, the staff and the oversight team hung out and prayed together and just visioned together about just kind of what's coming in this next season. And we sang those songs and it was a real sweet time together and just so thankful for the leaders that we get to do our life with and that just give so much of who they are to our church. And uh, I also wanted to mention... Uh, so we're, we're always kind of recording and hybrid worshiping, but uh, today this sermon is actually intentionally being recorded for my ordination. I'm going forward for ordination as a elder in the East Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church, so the Board of Ordained Ministry will be watching this, so if you want to turn around and wave at them. Here they are. I don't, I, keep going, keep going, keep waving. They're not, they, you know, show them we're extra friendly. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if you could hear, Board of Ministry, I don't know if you could hear, but they all said, ordain him, is what they said. So uh, that's that's what's going on there. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, you can Google it. Uh, this is the last week in our series, This Is Good News. And uh, we're getting back into the Book of Acts next week, and we'll be there this summer for a little while. But I've enjoyed laying this foundation of relationship and responsibility Uh for ourselves, for others, and today we're going to turn our attention to the world, good news for the globe. In 2006, a much younger, more full head of haired, ganglier Kyle Tennant went to Burkina Faso for two weeks. Burkina Faso is in West Africa near Mali and the Ivory Coast. And at the time, it was was the third poorest country in the world, the first sermon I ever publicly preached. I preached in Africa in a church started by missionaries and led by nationals. In 2009 and 2010, I took two spring break trips and a summer-long trip to a small town In the uk and partnered with a baptist church an independent baptist church that had been without a pastor for a number of years i got to preach i got to lead bible studies i led holiday club which is what they call vacation bible school in england i think we can all agree that holiday club sounds way more fun got to drink a lot of good tea Uh, and then uh, in 2020 i was in havana cuba And it was while sitting in a smoky hotel lobby, FaceTiming with Steph, that I learned two things for the first time. The first time I ever heard the word coronavirus was on a FaceTime call while I was in Cuba. And uh, I also learned, and at the time, this probably seemed more serious, that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan were leaving the royal family. Uh, And that's that's a whole sermon in of itself, I know. But following Jesus for me, following Jesus for me has always meant crossing borders and cultures to see what God is doing globally. And when you get into other cultures, and when you get into the churches on other continents, when you talk to people like Pastor Guillermo and Pastor Adria, or you speak to missionaries in Peru or the UK, or, you know, we're blessed to have two missionary families in our church, one retired, one still active. When you talk to them, you realize that this good news that shapes my life this good news that calls me in relationship with God and responsibility with God, this good news is good news for everyone, everywhere. In fact, when you go other places in the world, you start to get this sense that what is good news to us is the very best news to others. It is the very best news in places where poverty and oppression and violence are the norm As Africans like to say, in America you believe in God, in Africa we rely on God. This good news is good news for you, it's good news for me, it's good news for our families and our friends and our neighbors, and it is good news for the globe. It is good news for the globe. It is good news for everyone everywhere. So from the very earliest moments of the Jesus movement, followers of Jesus have crossed borders to take the good news to new people and new places. In fact, Church tradition says that Thomas, one of the twelve, heads to India, and some of the oldest churches in the world are found in India, where it is believed that Thomas preached the gospel and started churches. Churches in Africa to this day trace their origins to an Ethiopian eunuch that we meet in Acts chapter 8, who is considered to be the father of an entire nation's, entire continent's life of faith. And while all of us are called to be missionaries in our ordinary spaces. By the way, this work of crossing languages and, and barriers of culture and, and, and geography, that work is called missions. And the ones that we send to do it are called missionaries. And what, but the truth is that all of us are called to be missionaries. Exactly the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you were called to be a missionary in the places and spaces where you operate. And if that sounds overwhelming, don't worry. We're just going to spend the next three years teaching you how to do that. Yeah. yeah, slow process. It'll be good. So why do we do this? Why do we send missionaries to other cultures to bring the good news why do we support missionaries financially? Why do we do this with prayer? It is because of Jesus' final command. It is the last thing that Jesus has to say to us. And it's found in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. So if you have a Bible, look with me at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Just pause. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Jesus. Good. Good. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In light of the authority Jesus has been given, y'all go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples how to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Excuse me. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus issues his final command, it's his final commission. This is the one thing that Jesus wants us to know. So it give us, it should give us pause and make us stop and think, okay, what is Jesus really talking to us about here? And his command is make disciples. Jesus' final command is to mobilize. Jesus' final command is to multiply. Jesus tells his disciples to make more disciples. So what is a disciple? The word in Greek where we get disciple comes from the word mathetes. It means learner. A disciple is someone who is learning to hear God's voice and do what he says. That, by the way, is our foundational definition for for discipleship as a church. A disciple is somebody who hears God's voice and does what he says. A disciple is someone who is learning to live as Jesus lives who lives the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus and the works of Jesus. The words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, and the works of Jesus. And the disciple ultimately is someone who makes disciples. A disciple invests her life in others. She spiritually parents others to make more disciples. A disciple multiplies himself into other disciples who multiply themselves too. So let me just say this. This is when I get in trouble. A disciple isn't a disciple until they have made a disciple. Discipleship is measured by our ability to successfully and fruitfully invest in someone else such that they become a disciple. A disciple isn't a disciple until they've made a disciple, which, by the way, begs the question, have you made a disciple until they've made a disciple? (laughs) I'm serious. This is a a multiple-layered thing. This is why it's important to notice that Jesus does not say, go and make believers. Jesus doesn't say, go and gather crowds that agree with what is said from the front. Don't just get people that agree and and nod their way through it. We're looking for disciples. We're looking for people who won't just know the right things, but who will lay down their life for this kingdom that even now is breaking into our midst. This is the call. It is to make disciples. Now let's nerd out about grammar for a minute. There is one verb in this sentence and three participles. A participle describes or modifies the action of the verb. It says, this is how you do the thing that in the verb says. So the verb, there's actually only one command in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and it is make disciples. But there are three participles that describe how we go about that work. There are three participles that describe how we go about that work. And those participles are Teaching, there are baptizing, teaching, and going. It's as if Jesus is saying, make disciples as you are going, make disciples by baptizing, make disciples by teaching. There are three practices that Jesus lays out here, and the first is baptizing. Now this refers to the act of baptism, absolutely, whether that's under the water by what we call immersion or water poured or sprinkled over the head. Jesus is referring to the actual act. He's even giving instructions on how to do it. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. When we put someone under the water, I say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus said to no-brainer, right? Um, and so, uh, but, the, but baptism is, is more than just the act. And Jesus here in Matthew 28 is referring more than just the act because baptism is a sign. It's a sacrament. It points beyond itself. Baptism is the means by which we enter the community of God. It is the means by which we enter into the family of Jesus. It is the doorway. Jesus is calling not just to make believers, not to gather crowds who agree with what is being said up front, but to integrate ordinary people into an extended spiritual family that is on mission with Jesus in the world, to integrate people into community. Baptizing. Then Jesus says, teaching. Teaching. But notice what Jesus says. Teach these new disciples all the commands I have given you. Nope. Teach these disciples to obey all these commands I have given you. And that's the rub. When we disciple someone, we're not just downloading information into them. Discipleship is not knowing the right things. Discipleship is measured not by knowledge, but by obedience. Do you see that? It's easy for, I can teach you all the things that Jesus has commanded, that's easy. It is way harder to teach obedience. And it's never in the knowing, it's always in the doing, isn't it, right? The challenge isn't in the knowing. The challenge is in the doing. Jesus says, teach them to obey. All that I have commanded you. And to teach someone to obey, well, that looks a lot like spiritual parenting, like we talked about last week. What am I doing with Jack? Fundamentally, as a parent, I'm teaching Jack to be obedient, not so that I can be in control, but that he has a muscle memory of obedience when it comes to Jesus. We teach our kids to be obedient so that when it comes to Jesus, obedience flows naturally for them obedience which is not natural because of our sinful state right so we spiritually parent people to teach them to obey what does that look like we talked about it last week if you weren't here go back and listen to it it's about late nights and interruption and inconvenience and early mornings and having the same conversation over and over and over and over and over and over and over over until they get it until the penny drops right and that is time-consuming work so jesus says why don't you do it as you're going can't teach obedience in a six-week small group, I could maybe teach you one small facet of obedience about one small thing in a six-week small group. And then even then, I don't know if you would do it. So I've got to teach you how to do this as I'm going along in my life. As I'm going about my ordinary world, I need to have you saddled up next to me because we learn obedience through imitation. We learn obedience through imitation, right? I learn to pray... By the people around me praying, which is why the people that I have discipled, this freaks me out, pray like I do. Right? Why? Because they've heard me pray, and then when they go to pray, they say, right? I actually heard it last week in Paul and Melissa's video from last week. Melissa said something that Randy says. I don't remember what it was. I think it was, oh, God just wants you. I was like, that's a Randyism, right? Um, right, that's really good. When, when Jairus was investing heavily in Preston, Preston started saying, how can I pray for you today? Do you know what Jairus always asked me? How can I pray for you today? Right? By the way, that is a disciple making a disciple, right? Uh, And so there's imitation. And that's why we have people in our homes and around our tables. And I make the people that come over for dinner do dishes with me so that we can have a conversation about what's going on and what's happening. Or if we go out to eat, we drive together so that we can have the conversations that we're gonna have in the car. It's as you're going. I'll tell you what, that's still inconvenient. I mean, it maybe makes it a little easier because at least while I'm going grocery shopping, I can bring somebody with me grocery shopping and kind of talk to them about their thing but it's as we're going. And it's these practices, by the way, go as you're going and as you're teaching and as you're baptizing, make disciples. It's this that makes the movement of Jesus multiply all over the world. But notice there are three kind of participle modifiers, but there's one other modifier in this verse that is so important. Jesus says, make disciples of all the nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all the nations. I looked up the word all the nations in the Greek, and do you know what it means? All the nations. <laughs> now, Jesus' original hearers, the first hearers of the Gospel of Matthew, would have been scandalized by this. Jewish believers, Jewish believers being told, go to the ethne, go to the goyim. Go to the people that you have created these very cu- careful cultural separations from because the gospel is for them. And now here you and I are in little old war Ohio and the same call is on us. Make disciples of all the nations. The good, listen to me. The good news of Jesus knows no boundary. It knows no limits. It transcends cultures and transcends languages and transcends boundaries of nations such that John in the book of Revelation catches a glimpse of heaven. And do you know what he sees? He says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to be numbered from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar salvation comes from our god who sits on the throne and from the lamb he sees every tribe and tongue and nation there well how did they get there how does this crowd, too great to be numbered, get assembled in front of the throne? Well, somebody had to go tell him. Somebody had to be sent. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. This is good news for every nation and tribe and people and language. It is good news for the globe and it is good news for the globe because somebody took that good news with them. Someone was sent. So take a look at this.
1: So we start like way back, way back? (laughs) um, There was a growing knowledge that in the world, there were people who did not know Jesus, even though in the United States, it was pretty common that there are people in the world who had just no idea, never heard the, the name of Jesus, and that there needed to be people to go. And so it was when I was in college that God really called me to be involved in that. And I didn't know at that point what, what level that was going to be, but I was willing to go and um, Art had a similar experience. And then after we got married, God really did call us to go. Um, We felt really burdened to go to the people who did not have any way to hear about Jesus. Um, So um, we eventually joined Wycliffe Bible Translators and we got sent to uh, Thailand where we worked with uh, minority language group in Thailand that had n- nothing they didn't even know how to write their language and we started by learning the language and helping figure out how to write it and doing literacy and then um, started doing bible translation in their language
2: yeah so uh, actually missions was a big part of how we our friendship developed we're like I think God's directing in this way and there's there's a lot of people in the world that don't have it and have the scriptures even, let alone have anybody even near them that could talk of Jesus. And so there were, we found out, wow, there's thousands of languages. Well, you no, know, there's, there's like 7,000 languages in the world. And there's still over 2,000 have no scripture. John 3.16 doesn't exist. Uh, nothing. And... Uh, that's millions of people yet and uh, it's like, we also really wanted to go to a place where people were asking for help uh, yes there are language groups asking for help so that they can have literacy in their own language like uh, and if you want, that just that goes against the narrative of, that some people think that we're going in to change people, No, we're going in to help them do what they want to do and the Lahu Si people were some of those people. They had been trying. Like, actually, the la- language group, I'm going to honor them. I said, their name is Lahu Si. It has seven tones in it. I was working at a university to train other people from other surrounding countries to do literacy and translation in their own language. And I had to do a research project. So we went to the Lahu people and they said, Uh, we have a translation committee, but we don't know what to do. Could you help us? It's like, oh, wow. Uh, That was really unexpected in Asia at that time, in the early 90s. People weren't doing that so much, asking for help. So we did. We joined with them, and uh, I did the linguistic analysis. Actually, we did. Uh, And um, said, hey, this is... This is the sounds you have and and we worked together on how to represent that and had lots of meetings. Lots, lots of meetings. (laughs) But that's another story. And you know, eventually started writing their stories. It's like like you want to write our stories? Yeah, I want you to write your stories. That's that's what's gonna help most. And I would read a story and people would gather around because there was this big tall foreigner and he's doing something and people would say that's our language and I remember one day a grandmother came this book is in your language she says no there's no books in my language nobody's ever written my language that must be English it's like it's just inconceivable that their language could have that much importance that's what Jesus wants people to know that you're valuable. The guy that was the translator on the New Testament, I took a bunch of texts f- from that language and gave them to a class of um, M.A. linguistic students that were analyzing things. And they asked if he could come in to answer some questions. And he often said, well, "I don't, I don't know," because they were just nobody asked questions about how their language worked before. And at the end, uh, I've been working with this guy for six or seven years. And he says, I have a real language, don't I? It's like, k- kind of broke my heart that, like, like, you really know this. You know Jesus, too, but, it, and then he smiled and said, it, it's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> I said, yes, it is. It's very hard. <laughs> we were glad to live in Thailand. Um, Glad to work with the Lahusi people, and uh, so again the translators. He said to me one day, before he was the translator on the project, he said, "You know what? If we do a translation of the New Testament, you're to
1: heaven. That no one can be good enough—not Hindus or Muslims or Christians or Jews or anybody else. We cannot be good enough, but that we have to know Jesus and to." As Kyle said, repent and believe and follow him, and there is no way for people to hear that unless somebody goes and tells them. Um, and so that's really why we go. That's the good news for the whole world, mm-hmm. not just for those of us who happen to live in North America or Europe. And um, and even thinking about that, some in spite of the fact that it feels like America is so much less Christian than it used to be, it is so much more Christian than places like India and Bangladesh and Thailand where we lived, where there are less than 2% of the people in Thailand are Christian. And there are whole, what would be like counties or small states where there is not one known Christian. And those people can't hear. They cannot hear about Jesus if no one goes to tell them. No
2: Christian radio stations. No Christian radio stations. TVs. I don't know. I suppose maybe you could find a podcast. (laughs) Maybe.
1: (laughs) So it just isn't the same. And it does require somebody going from where they are to another place. Um, yes, there are miraculous things. Yes, people can read the Bible. But in general, people get to know Jesus in other places the same way as here. And that's by knowing someone who follows Jesus and being told. And that's, that's the thing that we need to do. And that's why we go.
0: So in a couple minutes, I want to tell you about like three basic practices for taking the good news to the globe, even just from right where we are. First, I just want to respond to like common objections or common resistance to engaging in global missions. Almost any time I have ever talked about global missions, and to be honest with you, this is a curiosity of kind of our corner of the world. I've not had this happen in other places I've served. Um, After we talk about global missions, and you would probably do this if I weren't about to like you right now, um, one or two people come up to me afterward, like, well, you know, there's just so much good to do right here at home. then there's a lot of chatter on social media these days about how global missions is colonialism. It's enforcing, harmfully enforcing uh, white American or Western values on, you know, hapless people that were fine without our interference, right? I want to respond to that, uh, both of those. And first, as it relates to this idea that there is so much good to do here at home, by preaching a sermon today about God's call on us to be involved in global missions, I'm not saying that there isn't good to do here at home uh, or even regionally or across the state, or I'm saying there's plenty of work to do everywhere, but there's this belief that by investing in what God is doing in Cuba, by investing in what God is doing over here, over there around the globe, there must then therefore be less resources to invest here and y'all, you know, that's, that's a scarcity mentality. That is, that is not kingdom. That is not the, the way that the Father works. Um, this idea of scarcity mentality that if I give over to there, there'll be less over here for this. God's response to a scarcity mentality is, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, which means my pockets are deep enough to provide for your needs and the needs of your community immediately and the needs of the global community as you live generously and make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be more generous. So the thing that you find is that you continue to re-up your generosity. You find yourself continue to be enriched so you can continue in generosity. And the very minute you stop your generosity the ver- is the very minute that you stop being enriched. And that sounds about as close to health wealth as I ever get, but it's just something that I've seen over and over again in my life, right? That the more I'm generous, the more I some- suddenly have to give away. And so instead of defensively backing away from global missions, and I can't help sometimes but feel like when people tell me there's so much good to do it here at home, they want me to let them off the hook of what the Bible is clearly telling them to do. And I have a lot of things and places where I can comfort you and make your life easier to manage, but the one thing I'm never going to do is back down from holding God's commandments in front of your face. And so if if There's so much work to do here at home as an excuse to get out of generosity toward the globe. I don't know how to help you with that because that's between you and Jesus and Jesus is pretty clear, right? And sometimes I can't help but wonder too, if I'm being honest, that when people say there's so much good to be doing here at home, I also can't help but if that's speaking out of a guilt that they're not doing anything here at home and now they've been told to do something globally and now they're failing twice, not just once, right? The second, I would respond, and and I'll talk about the giving piece in a minute, but the second, as it relates to colonialism, that is not unfounded, right? There are some kind of dark moments in the history of Christian missions, whether Protestant, Roman Catholic, or otherwise. There are some dark moments, and no honest church historian, no honest missionary would disagree with you and say that there weren't moments along the way when missions was really colonialism, when it was trying to enforce Western values and to civilize, you know, Aboriginal cultures, that's true. But I, I don't think that charge sticks with the way that missions has been done over the last 30 years in particular and 50 years, maybe longer, because it is more like what Art and Pam described a more equal partnership before the mission, between the missionary coming in and the nationals on the ground. In fact, there's not one missionary I've ever met that didn't think that the most important part of their work was discipling and empowering national leaders to carry on the work such that most missionaries don't spend as much time as they used to in a foreign country, like used to kind of get on a boat and never come back for 30 years. And now there's these kind of cycles that you go because you're raising up leaders and coming home and then raising up leaders and going elsewhere. And, and here's the other thing. If you um, are uncomfortable with a colonizing faith, I just want to remind you that Jesus comes to colonize earth with a culture of heaven. Right? And he does this not by enforcing his values on us, but through service and humility, revolutionizing the world. We have a Jesus who says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Right, He calls us to colonize ordinary places, even places on the other side of the ocean, with a culture of heaven. And I think a, a third thing that comes to mind, by the way, In verse 16 and 17 of this passage, Matthew 28, it says, When the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, they saw him, they worshipped him, but then it says this, But some doubted. I was raised in a church here in the area where Matthew 28:18 18 through 20, was like on every wall. Missions was what we did as a church, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. It was great. It really raised me, and there's a few of us that were raised in that church here. It really raised us to think like, I I have never really had in my Christian life a world where I did not think or live like kind of what I'm teaching you because it was just so kind of built into us that this is exactly what Christians are called to do is to care about what's going on globally. It was great. Um, Nobody did ever tell me, though, it wasn't until I went to Bible college and read the New Testament all the way through, that I saw that in the moment that Jesus commissions them, it says, but some doubted. And I can't help but wonder if another objection or sensation to this call of global missions is just some doubt on our parts of our own capability and God's desire to partner with us to get this done. Like, why would God wanna partner with me, with my stuff and my brokenness to bless the world? And to use something that's a little, uh, just easy to remember and quippy, a mentor of mine always says God does not call the qualified he qualifies the called God does not call the equipped he equips the called right Jesus' final command is to make disciples of all nations and whether your objection is colonialism or a scarcity mentality, maybe your objection is like kind of this all truth is equal. There's no such thing as hell. How can I go and tell this person? And, you know, whatever it is, all I'm letting you know is this is called the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. The moment you said yes to Jesus, listen, the minute you get your driver's license, the laws of the state of Ohio as it relates to driving fall on your shoulders whether you're aware of all of them or not the minute a a citizen is naturalized in this country the full weight and force of the laws of the United States of America come down on their shoulders whether or not they know them at all and the very minute you said yes to Jesus the very weight of this commission which is actually light Jesus says the weight of this great commission fell on your shoulders whether or not you want it to it's not an option it's a command So how do we live into that? How do we live into that in little old Warren, Ohio, where we're raising our kids and our grandkids and we're paying our bills and we're trying to keep up at work? Got to make sure the lawn is mowed. God forbid there be one weed in our flower beds, right? Um, We're juggling a ton, and I I see that. I'm, I'm trying to be realistic here. But I'm throwing at you, the, and here I am now, like throwing good news for the globe. And you're just kind of trying to keep your head above water and like the ordinary things of your life. So what does it look like for us to take the good news of the globe to the globe in the midst of our busyness and, and hecticness? Um, and there's another sermon at some point about how the greatest enemy in your spiritual life is not the political party you didn't vote for, but it's actually your busyness. But we can get into that at another time. Um, there are three practices I wanna talk about today. And the first is prayer. Duh, right? Um, Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul says that we're to pray for believers everywhere. And that's because these people are more than people with whom I share a religion in common. These are my family. Christians in Iran are my family. Christians in Cuba are my family. Christians in India who are living in a virus-ravaged moment are my family and I'm to pray with them with the fervency and urgency that I pray for my own biological family and then significantly more because that is my family. I am called to pray for believers everywhere. And not only that, I'm called to pray for the people that have gone to other places to tell and share the gospel. Paul, if you ever if you support a missionary you might not. Uh, if you financially support a missionary we do, I'll tell you about that in a second. We get little letters from them from time to time. Here's how you can pray for us, right? They're on the front lines. The spiritual warfare is real. It's just really difficult. That's why not everybody does it. And, um, and so you get these prayer letters. Paul in Colossians, he's writing a little prayer letter back to the church in Colossae that he's helped start. He's out on a missionary journey somewhere doing his thing. And he says, hey, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should pray that i may proclaim it clearly as i should so we pray for believers in cuba and england and iran and africa and and peru and all of these places but we also pray for the people that we know that have gone to share the gospel with them we pray second thing is we give as we look at the bible there's kind of two forms of giving one is structured and the other one is spontaneous there's this structured giving that goes to support the work of our local church. It's usually kind of a portion of our income. Some people would say 10%, some people would say higher. But then there is this spontaneous giving that like needs present themselves. And so we give over and above what we get to the church to kind of support that in a surprising way. So I want to be a living example, by no means a, a perfect example, just kind of our journey in this. Steph and I give a little bit more than 10% of our pre-tax income to what God is doing at our church. If you wanna arm wrestle about pre-tax versus post-tax, we can, that's between you and Jesus. But I think Jesus would generally say, whatever is more generous is the thing you should do, right? So, and then over and above that, uh, we give to a few missionary families, four one in Peru, two in England, uh, and one in Italy. See, when you go to Bible college, you're surrounded by people. I graduated from Bible college 10 years ago, I'm officially old. And um, I, I'm still getting letters from my classmates, right? How patients and other things that pop up in our community life, and here and da 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 da. You may have noticed I'm. It still appears that I'm eating three meals a day, right? I am um, uh, wearing clothing, right? And uh, and so I think, uh, in our experience, in our generosity, our needs have always been met, right? Uh, even as we choose to be more and more generous all the time, and. Uh, And and so why do we do that? Like, why are we giving? Well, because I'm called to be a Great Commission person, and that means kind of giving to those who are going. But I also give because of what we pray every week. What do we pray every week? There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide but generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord. So we give. So we pray, we give, and we go, and we go. Jesus says, go. And for all of us, it's that as you are going, living our ordinary life, that's where a lot of the work of discipleship comes. But there are times when we might feel called to go in the short term not as saviors not as leaders not having all the answers not to fix all the problems because here i am a westerner i know how to do these things but as listeners and learners and servants we immerse ourselves in another culture and another church to see what god is doing and we come alongside and we nurture that we do short-term trips my hope and my prayer is that in 2022 2023 like listen consider yourself blessed state of ohio lifts their mask mandate june 2nd it is going to be at least another year to 18 months before the rest of the globe gets to live a life like we're going to get to live okay call it a pandemic call it a hoax call whatever you want i'm just saying our brothers and sisters around the globe it's going to be a minute right so i'm hoping in 2022 2023 we can go right we can go to cuba Randy and Jairus want to go to Peru. You can go with Randy and Jairus to Peru. (laughs) Randy wants to go to Peru. (laughs) Jairus will probably go with her. Um, Hopefully we can go. But here's the deal. Some of you, and I'm hoping, honestly, I've been praying this week. Some of you may, through the process of the sermon, either be receiving right now or have a seed planted for going in an extended way in cross-cultural missions. Some of you may feel called to go not for a couple weeks, but for a few decades. And uh, if what you feel is like, well, listen, my life is already settled. I've got a career, I've got this going on. You know, it's one thing for, you know, I went to Bible college with old people, early 20s. They haven't really started their life yet. It's easy when you're 23, 24 to up and move to, you know, wherever, Timbuktu. But then there's like my wife's brother, uh, has a home, has a career, settled, established, ready to go, and they take them and their five children and they move to Southeast Asia. Why? Because God said go. I mean, just so you know again, not trying to set you up for anything, but if like today the Lord said to Kyle and Steph like go, we w- it, there would be no conversation. I'm not saying that because I'm perfect, but because like we just live in this posture of the safest and best place for us to be is in the exact center of God's will. And if the center of God's will moves away from 1128 State Road to wherever, we're going to go be there with tears and annoyingly asking you for money. <laughs> um, we will go. And I'm praying that somebody in our midst would go. Let me, let me just end here, okay? Jesus' words in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, the Great Commission. Could you say it with more like conviction? The Great Commission, yeah. Here's why. Here's why I want you to remember this word. In a 2018 Barna study... Only 17% of committed Christians knew, had heard of the Great Commission and knew what it meant. Another 25% had heard it, but couldn't remember what it meant. And 51% had never heard of it before. Now listen to me. If 51% of our churches haven't heard of the Great Commission because it's 51% of Preston's, who's a brand new Christian over the last two years and hasn't ever really bumped into this before. Awesome. Let's do some equipping in that. But it's 51% of our churches that have been in church that are overfed, frankly, have been in church for two, three, four decades. Now, I don't think what that is. Houston, we have a problem, right? Here we are. This is the challenge. So here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to be a church that knows the phrase, the phrase, the great commission and knows that it means therefore go and make disciples of all nations we're going to know it we're going to do it we're going to be a church that prays we're going to be a church that gives we're going to be a church lord willing that goes we are going to be a church that makes jesus's last command our first priority we're going to make jesus's last command our first priority amen amen Amen. all right heather would you come lead response time for us
3: I feel like Art and Pam should be leading response time, (laughs) like, after that video. My goodness, okay, never mind. Um, Yeah, we're just going to take a second to reflect on what we heard this morning and um, what the Father might be saying to us. So something that got my attention, and then Kyle, like, circled around back to it was just this idea that God actually really wants to partner with us Which is a little bit crazy to think about Um, why would he want to do that there? There are several reasons why anyways um So yeah, it just really got my attention that he has this desire To not only be with us, but to partner with us in the things that he wants to do around us so if um if you like a bit of direction we always like to have a question for us to think about and the question is what is one way that god is inviting you to partner with him by either praying giving or going and if you're an overachiever you may pick two of those um, that's totally fine but julia is going to play for about a minute and then i will pray for us Father, thank you so much for the various ways that you equip us to partner with you. Thank you that it brings your heart joy to do so. You're not reluctant to bring us along, to work through us. We know that it's your desire to be with us and to move through us. those that don't know you yet so we just pray that you would do so that you would give us your Holy Spirit and allow him to work through us as we move along with the Great Commission that you set for us so it's in the name of Jesus that we can ask for your help as we go forward. Amen. Uh, there's going to be some people in the back in the Otterbein room. If you would like prayer, you can go and do that.
1: Guys, our love, we hope to see you later for the feast. If not, we'll see you next week.